Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of All Rings Considered, a read through the Lord of the Rings. We are on chapter 9, At the Sign of the Prancing Pony. In this chapter, our hobbits arrive at the village of Bree. They find lodging at the Prancing Pony Inn, and then Frodo, Pippin, and Sam spend a little bit of time chatting it up with the locals. And that's the chapter. Don't forget we get Frodo sings a very long song. Yes. Well, he accidentally puts the ring on, yes, and freaks everybody out. And then they do meet Strider. It's worth pointing that out, too, right? That's true. And it kind of ends, though, at that point. Yeah, and so there really isn't that much to talk about in this chapter. It's a lot of moving plot along. Um, But there are some things that are interesting to point out. One thing that I noticed is that right in the beginning, we have a different perspective from, from narration point of view. So previously, like in previous chapter, we were really focused on the story from Frodo's point of view. And the beginning of this chapter, we have a broadening. And so there's this broadening effect, and then it kind of narrows back down to Frodo's point of view. But we get a, a few long descriptions of, of Bree and the history and the geography around the land. And I think that kind of gives an effect of they are, they've been alone for so long. I mean, they meet Tom Bombadil, but really they've been out in the wilderness just by themselves. Um, but here they're re-entering into like a, a wider context. Or at least a place with more people, um, as small as yeah. it is. And so you kind of have this nice effect of like, oh, this is like, you're seeing it from a broader point of view. And then it, the chapter goes on, it narrows back down to Frodo's uh, perspective. Yeah, I, a couple things. I think the Atlas of Middle-Earth, which we talked about a few episodes ago, has a nice good map of Bree and the surrounding towns, which helped me a little bit figure out what was happening here. And the other thing I would say... I, I was struck in this chapter that, if you think about it, the Hobbits have had a pretty traumatic near-death experience. Or at least, I would be traumatized for right. a long time. And when they get to the end, though, they're pretty uh, pretty chill, all things considered. <laughs> they, they're able to drink beer, and eventually, at least Pippin and Sam get happy enough to be able to just chat with everybody in the common area and tell stories and get excited. So, I guess that's just... Uh, stories in general always do that, but well, I think there's something there. I think there might be something to be said about the like the healing effect of of beer. It's, yeah, food and beer on hobbits. Other things I, I have that this just thematically something that's going on in this chapter is it's the chapter of suspicion, really. Yeah, you see so many instances of of people being suspicious of each other. The Gatesman is suspicious of the hobbits. Uh, Frodo's suspicious of Strider. Everybody is suspicious of Frodo after he accidentally puts on the ring. And then even at the end, Frodo says, uh, or let's see, it says, were all these people in league against him? He began to suspect even old Butterbeer's fat face of concealing dark designs. And so there's just, and it's kind of funny too, because everyone's suspicious of each other, but they're all wrong. Right. You know, I mean, not that Strider isn't dangerous or that, you know, people didn't have a right to be freaked out by Frodo disappearing, but the gate suspects the hobbits and they say we're just hobbits so let us in um and then when his back's turned uh, a black rider jumps over the gate and then uh everyone Wait, although, is kind of hold up did you catch this i don't think it's a black rider oh do you think I it's think... i think it's it well i don't think it... it's strider oh okay yeah he'll say it later sometime later in the book but i do remember my first read through too though i was absolutely like oh my god that's a black rider right like it's gotta be i do think you're kind of set up to think it is but it ends up being Strider. It's got to be probably the next chapter he says that, but... Oh, we will see. Yeah. But then, uh, so, I'll, yeah, that one, 
not so much. But then there's um, the squinty-eyed man and uh, Bill Fernie. And people don't necessarily like them, but they're not really suspicious of them. And at least in this mm-hmm. chapter, it's not stated. So it's just kind of a funny, everyone is suspicious, but not anybody, but nobody's right about it. Charlie, do you have anything interesting you thought about this chapter to make you feel any any certain way? I, just, I don't have much to say about this chapter. I don't think much happens on a deeper level, except maybe what you pointed out about the suspicion stuff, which I think is really strong. And The only thing that stuck out to me as we're thinking about is why the song Frodo sings, which feels very throwaway and feels very sort of corny and cheesy in a deliberate way, right? It's very mm-hmm. simple and stupid. Why it's so long. We've seen these other songs in the book already, these walking songs and, and things that the hobbits sing that are thematically really important and dive into questions Tolkien has about you know, the nature of travel and the road and journeys and how that parallels life. And then we get this song, which as best as I could tell, doesn't have much thematic significance at all. <laughs> and it's pretty long. It's longer than most everything we've seen. And I don't know to think about that. So I don't know. Any thoughts? So it's, it's Hey Diddle Diddle, the cat in the fiddle, the cow jumped over the moon. And it's kind of another one of, oh, I don't know what to call them, but it's when Tolkien suggests that Bilbo inadvertently invents things. Um, well, I guess here he's like explicitly saying it, but um, yeah. Bilbo... I think he, he accidentally invented golf, or they mentioned The Hobbit. I forgot how that... It was one, one of his relatives, one of his ancestors. or It wasn't Bilbo himself, but one of his okay. Hobbit ancestors. But yeah. something from Middle-earth like saying, oh, this is actually the original version, and then there's, you know, have our modern parallel, which must have, you know, been derived from this. So trying to draw a connection between this is like an actual history. And so this is the original Hey Diddle Diddle poem. Yeah, but it it's a weird of all the things to draw. Was it just for fun? You think? And if so, it seems like an awful. I do think it's too long. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, not as like criticism because you can just get mm. through it. Yeah, just but okay. Toughen up, get through it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, it, like, purpose wise, it something like this is maybe gives Brie a, a Hobbit flavor. Well, I mean, Hobbits do live in Brie. This is very Hobbit-like. I thought it was interesting that he has a couple notes in the song, too. One of them I didn't check because I don't care. Um, one of them was, the one I didn't care about was about Sunday. And I guess there's probably a note there that says, look into the, how the calendars work. I, I don't care about the calendars for Middle Earth. Sorry, folks, if I'm missing something deep, whatever. But the other one, the other note's interesting, though, in that he says that the Hobbits and Elves consider the sun a she, and so they'll use feminine pronouns. And so this this immediately piqued my interest because I'm thinking, why is he telling us this? Why would we uh, need to know? But it is worth noting that generally in Germanic languages, uh, son is grammatically a feminine noun, hmm. uh, whereas in Romance languages, it's typically masculine. We have run out of things to talk about for chapter nine. <laughs> yeah, we really have because that's not actually interesting at all, is it? No, actually, I, I um, I actually do think that's a really good point. Tolkien was, you know, everybody knows, was a philologist, and you know, Lord of the Rings in some ways was a way to express his interest in language. 
it's potentially interesting because it's not the only time he has connected Hobbit language with Germanic languages. You, if you like, spend some time reading the appendices and some of Christopher Tolkien's stuff about the languages, you see some interesting points. Like Tolkien says that actually in the original Hobbit language, Bilbo's name is Bilba, ending with an A, and that that's their masculine ending. But that Tolkien himself has changed it in his you know, supposed translation of the Red Book to Bilbo, because in English now that sounds more like the, uh, a masculine ending than Bilba. And he, he has that whole conceit, and yet, I mean, it's based in something. In these old Germanic languages, you can see it in Old English and Old Norse and these sorts of languages that A was actually a masculine ending oftentimes, and O was a feminine ending. So actually, if you look at a lot of names from those languages, women actually have names that end in O, and men will have sometimes names that end in A. Sort of, again, an opposite of Romance languages where you have more often A as feminine and O as masculine. And English, modern English has picked that up for the Romance languages. Furthermore, you do have the sense of Tolkien chooses to use actual like Old English as the language for the Rohirrim later in the book. And, or at least as their sort of like ancient language. And the reason he does that is to sort of express the connection that the Hobbit's language is related to the Rohirrim's language in the same way modern English is related to Old English. Hmm. So they have right. the same relationship. And so again, another parallel there between Hobbit language, Germanic language. And I, just, I think he's just having fun. I, I don't think there's any thematic significance to that necessarily. I think he, he was a professor of those languages, so he's just having some fun with it. But it's cool. Well, speaking of language, Charlie, are there any examples of language use otherwise known as lines, uh, that you like to <laughs> <laughs> you are particularly have, have we considered that if we, in fact, finish this podcast, which we do aim to do, by the way, uh, it will be a chart of our slow descent into, into insanity by the end of it, right? But yeah, so so favorite line of the chapter. Yes, yeah, so my favorite lines are this. They're uh, at the beginning, which I feel like I've done the past couple chapters but at the beginning when Tolkien is describing the men who live in Bree he says that according to their own tales they were the original inhabitants and were the descendants of the first men that ever wandered into the west of the middle world few had survived the turmoils of the elder days but when the kings returned again over the great sea they had found the Bree men still there and they were still there now when the memory of the old kings had faded into the grass. There's a couple little phrases in there I like a lot. I love the first men that ever wandered into the west of the middle world. Hmm. And then I love at the end when he says, when the memory of the old kings had faded into the grass. I just like them for their aesthetic value. I think they both sound really pretty. I like that. And too. yeah, you have some nice alliteration with wandered into the west of the middle world. I think that's really nice. And just the idea of memory fading into the grass. We I talked last episode about the landscape in this first it, it, within book one. The landscape will feel very Celtic, and that to me is an example of it. I could just I could see myself on the the on the downs or the moors of the British Isles, right, with the with the old Celtic monuments, and it's just it's all grass there, right? It's hard right. hard for trees to grow. So, and, and just feeling that ancientness, and I think that comes across here really well. 
Well, Charlie, my favorite line contrasts with yours in, in several dimensions. Um, it's right at the end, and my favorite line is, he began to suspect even old Butterbur's fat face of concealing <laughs> dark designs. <laughs> That's a great alliteration of fat. His <laughs> 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 face. So it doesn't contrast. It's actually the same. <laughs> well, you're on the same level here. Yeah. Well, it, it, absolutely. It's just you know, in, uh, in a different way. I just honestly can't read it without laughing. So, which is always a sign of a good line. You know, this this chapter makes me happy. Makes me suspicious of you. <laughs> My quality as a reader. Well, well, well. Let's. Wait, was that actually your favorite line? It really was. I read (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. Okay. Are you going to elaborate or are we just going to leave it at that's your favorite line? Let's move on. Good. Uh, One final note. I actually went back, Pip. I actually listened to the previous episodes and I noticed that I feel like I do this especially, but I feel like I have a bad habit of saying things like, oh, let's look at that question next chapter. And then I don't. So, oh, do we have? I'm gonna, do we have dangling questions? I'm gonna follow up. I have at Let's least take one. Some calls. I have at least one dangling question that I can answer now. I think it was two chapters ago, two episodes ago, where we, I, I asked the question: Are the Barrows part of Tom's realm? And I can confirm that they seem to be. He actually does say at the end of not this chapter, but the previous one, the Barrow Downs one. Mm-hmm. He says to them when they get to the road that his his domain or realm ends here and that he can't go on. So that implies to me that the barrows must be part of his his realm. So dangling question answered. Excellent. Well, all right. Uh, let's, let's end things here. And we'll see everyone for next episode, Chapter 10, Strider. Strider.